From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. In the emergency department of Massachusetts General Hospital, accessible technology is crucial to patients receiving care and to the physicians administering it as quickly as possible. When ultrasounds are needed in the ED, MGH utilizes point-of-care bedside testing. With this technology, equal and equitable training and support is needed for all physicians. With her recently funded tele-ultrasound project, Dr. Eke is working to support female faculty of color in their various roles, including training and mentorship. Dr. Eke is faculty and director of global ultrasound in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Massachusetts General Hospital. Hello, Dr. Eke. Thank you for joining us. We are super excited to have this conversation with you and appreciate you being here. Um, We're gonna get started. I'm gonna pass it to my colleague, Anna, to begin. Thanks, Avi. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, So my first question, Dr. AK, you are uh, the Director of Global Ultrasound at Massachusetts General Hospital. Um, And then in that role, you work with point of care, ultrasound technology and education. Um, So what is point of care ultrasound? Yeah, thank you. And thank you so much, Obi and Anna, uh, for uh, having me this morning. So point of care ultrasound is really the use of ultrasound technology at the bedside. In the setting that I am in at MGH, it's in the emergency department. And we use point of care ultrasound to help diagnose and to manage uh, a patient that we see in the emergency department. Um, The patients can range from pediatric uh, patients to geriatric uh, patients. It can range from patients that come in with a simple fracture to patients who are in cardiac arrest. So it helps us through that broad range to be able to kind of facilitate care in the emergency room. It's also used in other uh, settings, is used in internal uh, medicine, is used in, in anesthesia, is used in surgery. But for us here, we use it in the emergency department. So how does this improve care in emergency departments? Yes, yeah, so because we are able to use this technology, this imaging modality in the emergency room and by the patient's bedside, we are able to make kind of quick decisions. A good example is if a patient comes in during a trauma and we are concerned that maybe there is some blood in the abdomen, instead of waiting to stabilize the patient and take the patient to the radiology suite called transportation, get everything all set, connect all of the tubes and all of the machinery, get everybody there plus the nursing staff, take them to the radiology suite and bring them back, which can take up to an hour and sometimes even more, three, four hours, uh, waiting for the results to come in. We're able to actually do this at the bedside. We are, we are able to actually see blood in the abdomen and then make decision based on that imaging uh, modality. Now, it doesn't always have to be a big um, big event like a, like a trauma or even a cardiac arrest. It can be, let's say, for a patient that comes in with shortness of breath, where we want to find out is the reason why they are short of breath because they have some fluid in their lungs or because they are, they are having an asthma attack. 
Even if we do an x-ray, the technician has to either come to the patient's bedside or again, as I said, transportation has to take the patient there. With point of care ultrasound, we can look at the patient's heart, we can look at the patient's lung, and we can decide if this shortness of breath is from, let's say, uh, fluid in the heart or, or fluid in the lungs, or if it's just because of an asthma attack. So this, as you can see, because we don't have this um, second and third pathway where we have to get transportation and the technician and the radiologist to read the scans, we're able to do this all. And ultimately this helps us to number one, facilitate care. So we are expediting care, help us to manage the patients because we can have multiple, we can do multiple uh, studies for a single individual to, to see how they are responding to the management and also help them in terms of the time they spend in the emergency room. It helps us to also get them either out of the emergency room or to, or to a different floor because of everything that we're able to like do. Um, so at the end of the day, I think it's definitely a tool that we are using to number one, improve a patient's care. But I think it's also a tool that helps us as, as a physicians to be more efficient when we are delivering care. How are physicians who aren't necessarily trained in radiology um, become familiar with this technology? Yeah, so physicians who are not trained in radiology, like myself, um, emergency physicians, for us, actually, it's part of our curriculum when we're undergoing residency training. So as part of our residency uh, uh, training, we get points of care ultrasound um, education. At least at MGH, we have an ultrasound um, emergency um, faculty. And what we do is we train the entire uh, clinical care team. We train the residents, we train the medical uh, students at, at, at Harvard uh, Medical School, we train the, the attendings, and we also train the advanced care uh, providers, which, which includes the physician assistants and the nurse practitioners. Again, our focus is very focused. <laughs> so we are only doing points of care of ultrasound. The radiologists, on the other hand, are doing ultrasound that is not necessarily at the point of care, just generalized ultrasound, in addition to multiple other imaging um, uh, modalities, uh, for example, X-ray, MRI, CT. Um, so that we are not doing. And for, for that, and even for some parts of, of ultrasound, we do need the radiologist, but for things that we can just do at the bedside to make a decision at the bedside and to expedite emergency care, all emergency physicians who go through a residency training in the United States are exposed to points of care ultrasound. And this is not just for emergency medicine anymore. Our internal medicine colleagues and our pediatric colleagues are also having this as part of their training. So it's not going to be surprising that in the next few years, this might be part of the training for a lot of residency programs, not just emergency medicine. That is amazing. Um, so in your role at MGH, you propose a tele-ultrasound project that's recently been funded. So congratulations. Um, can you tell us more about this? Yeah. So in addition to what I was saying about the education, as you can imagine, we have the point of care ultrasound faculty and we are all ultrasound trained. Um, we have, so after we finished our residency uh, training, we did a fellowship in emergency ultrasound, which is for one year. So we have this specialized uh, training. Not everyone has that specialized uh, training. And because of that, we are in charge of training the rest of, of the clinical team. But as you can imagine, different uh, people in the clinical team might need help at different times for which the ultrasound faculty is not always available in the department. So with this uh, tele-ultrasound 
project, we hope to bridge that gap in, in expertise at the point of care. So let's say if there's somebody in the emergency department who wants to do a study, an ultrasound a, a study, and let's say they are not particularly sure as to what they are, what they are finding, or even how to, how to obtain the image. With a tele-ultrasound, there'll be a, a tele-ultrasound a platform. So a platform by which you can communicate with an expert um, remotely, and then that expert would be able to guide that, uh, that uh, clinician in image interpretation, um, image acquisition, and also in the clinical integration. So that's what the project is hoping to, to, to achieve with this grant. So it is important for this technology as well as sort of like the teaching element of it to be accessible. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the global focus of your work? As ultrasound is growing in popularity and growing in use, everyone is seeing the, the, the use. In many, I think, uh, communities outside of the United States, I can just speak, uh, for example, in Sub-Saharan Africa, in, in, uh, in West Africa, where I am from, if you want to get an imaging study, you have to pay first um, in the emergency department. And then after you pay, then you can get the study. With point of care ultrasound, because we're able to do this at the bedside, it eliminates that element where you actually have to pay for the study before you can obtain the study. So you can imagine, let's say you are in somewhere in Lagos and you need a study to, to find out if this individual, let's say, who was in a car accident has blood in their abdomen. Now, instead of the family members who are already stressed out, trying to find the money and the resources to pay for the, for the imaging a, a, a study, we can get the study at the bedside and then uh, figure out if this patient needs to go to the operating room or, or if we can do other things to kind of um, manage the care. So that's the way that ultrasound is, is able to bridge that, that gap where, because there's limited resources, um, and even in, in the United States, there's limited resources. If we're able to use this technology uh, in those uh, communities where there's limited resources, then you kind of eliminate this um, financial barrier for patients. And in the same way that it, it's helping us to facilitate a patient care here, it will facilitate and it has been shown, multiple studies have shown that it facilitates care in other communities that are, that are resource limited as well. Um, in our initial conversation, you had mentioned you were talking about resource limited institutions and, the, and in the way that it was being discussed, you had said all institutions are resource limited to some extent. Can you talk about that? Yes, I think if we could just even look at where, where we are now, we are in 2021 in the middle of a global pan pandemic. I don't think there's a single place on this earth that is not somehow strained. And so in this case now, where number one, we are still um, kind of living and fighting through the pandemic, everybody is, is strained. So anything that we can do to kind of relieve that strain, let's say even if it is just uh, having... Um, an imaging uh, modality at the bedside where we don't have to have a uh, radiology tech come into the, the room and be exposed or take the patient to a radiology suite where they are going to expose other in, um, individuals. Even that small step can make a difference in clinical care and can even help make a difference in clinical uh, morale. Everyone needs some kind of, si of system that can make a clinical delivery easier. And I think that point of care ultrasound is able to deliver in that aspect. Also, can we circle back to um, the recently funded grant 
that you received was part of the grant um, that it was targeted towards these group of people and their ideas. And by these group of people, I mean minority faculty and women of color. Yes, thank you for the question. So the Center for Diversity and Inclusion at MGH has this um, has this grant, the Clinician uh, Teacher um, Grant, and they have um, also a, another grant for research uh, sciences where they support minority faculty. And the goal of this grant is to enable minority uh, faculty to focus on research. And um, we do that by getting grant uh, money, which is number one, able to buy down the clinical time. We're also able to um, afford us the opportunity to have either a research assistant or research resources enabled to do our research. Um, for, for me, part of the grant is going to be paying for some classes I'm going to be taking at the School of Public Health, just so that I can get those research skills to be able to perform a research that is of high quality. So uh, the grant has been around for a very long, long, long time and has supported the careers of multiple minority faculty, men and women. And so I am so glad and very uh, uh, fortunate to be one of the recipients of the Clinician uh, Teacher Award this year. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how the grant leads to sort of supporting women of color and leadership positions, mentorship, and maybe some advice you could give for individuals as to how to promote um, mentorship opportunities and allowing minority groups to feel like they belong um, where they are. Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, you know, this grant is very important because, again, it gives us that freedom to be able to do research and get the support for, for it. And, and at this institution, research, in addition to clinical care and education, is how we, is how we, we all grow and how we, you know, learn to take better care of our patients. I think for minority faculty, particularly for women of color, a grant like this helped to retain us. Because it's one thing to recruit a minority uh, faculty into an into some institution like this one. It's another thing to say, you know, the work that you are doing is valuable. So I think when we have grants like like this, because grants like this mean that you have written up a proposal and that you have a mentorship team. And when you have a grant that has been accepted then that mentorship team is there to support you. They have committed to supporting your career. And it's not just the mentorship team, but your department now. So it's not just the people on my uh, mentorship team, because I had to also ask my chair, who is so uh, supportive, and other individuals to write me uh, letters of, of recommendation. So when you have people who are supporting you within your department and outside your, your department, that goes to show that the institution is committed to keeping you. And I think that is one of the things that really supports minority uh, faculty, particularly uh, women of color. In addition to retaining us um, and also to recruiting us, as I said, mentorship is also um, important, but sponsorship, um, uh, making sure that that we are, you know, being called to 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 uh, to, uh, to uh, take on uh, leadership um, opportunities and to advocate for the work that that we are doing in places that are going to, to kind of elevate us. I think that's also important. And so, at the end of the day, I think in doing anything that makes us feel like number one, we belong. Like not just us, but everybody wants to feel like like they belong. Everybody wants to feel like like they are valued. But I think for minorities, particularly for 
uh, minority uh, women of color, that is particularly important because historically we have been marginalized. So any opportunity that kind of brings us uh, together, that values us, that lifts us up in the name of retention, in the name of recruitment, in the name of sponsorship, in the, in the name of uh, mentorship, all of those opportunities are very Im important. And so for that, I think this grant, I thank the Center for Diversity and Inclusion at MGH for the opportunity. I thank my, my, my department, my mentors and all my sponsors for number one, making me feel like I belong here and for um, showing me that the work that I am doing and the work that I want to do is valuable. And I think every single uh, woman of color wants the same exact things. I wanted to circle back to what you were talking about, about basically how the technology can be used in different places and maybe the different, honestly, the different spaces you can use it in, right? And the different, whether that's geographical, whether that is different situations in the ER or the ED, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. Where do you see it going from here? What are, what are your like future big plans for this work? I think you've spoken about some of it. I mean, I'm super passionate about West Africa and the work being done there and thinking about different communities like that who are, I, I love what you were saying about everyone's a bit under-resourced right now, but I think there's definitely areas where under-resourced is an understatement. Um, but what, how do you see it kind of evolving? Yeah, so I think with the pilot study that we are having in the MGHED with teleultrasound, I think that's going to be a huge stepping stone to figure out if this actually works in this context. And as you said, every uh, context is, is different. And if it works here, the goal will be to also pilot this in other uh, communities out, outside of, 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 of the United States. So that's the big goal. One of the other big goals I have is just to continue to expand ultrasound, point of care ultrasound education and and, and training in resource limited uh, settings. Uh, one of the partners we have is an emergency medicine uh, program in Kumasi, Ghana. And we've been able to have um, as, as several of their, of their, their residents uh, join us for conferences and uh, particularly for ultrasound conferences. And we've been able to, to actually have didactic lectures where these are residents and these are clinicians who are in Kumasi and they are able to use ultrasound and we can teach and they can actually use what we are saying to actually direct a, a patient care at their own um, inst institutions. So the goal is to be able to, to do this for multiple uh, communities because emergency uh, medicine is still it's in, in its infancy, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. In West Africa alone, there's only one emergency medicine uh, program, and there's a few in South Africa, in East and Central Africa. So as more programs pop up, and even the programs that are already in existence, there is a need to strengthen this point of care ultrasound education. And that's where, where we step in. We have the expertise, we have the knowledge. All we need to do is just be able to transfer this, this, this uh, knowledge to other individuals that want to actually learn. Um, so that is the goal. I'm really excited about what we are doing with uh, Kumasi. We have some other partners in Uganda and also in, in, in India. So we are looking uh, forward to continue to give this knowledge and hopefully to be able to actually train individuals as well at the bedside. Uh, recently, we had a virtual kind of ultrasound didactic um, course. It was a 
a two-day course, we had over 800 uh, registered participants, and each day there were like about 200 or so, over 200 or so uh, uh, people who who had attended, and they came from everywhere. There were people from Lagos, from from like Costa Rica, from like uh, Lebanon. Somehow it, it got through uh, WhatsApp, and everybody was there, and the enthusiasm was was great. And that's just a marker for us that there, there is a hunger, there is um, a need. People want to learn how to use this by the bedside because they see the value, just as we see the value as well. I actually have another question that kind of came up from that. The question I have is about cost, and that is cost to the individual and then cost to the hospital itself, right? It, it strikes me that part of why this, this may be so interesting and, and compelling to other groups is, is the cost associated with it. Can you speak to that at all? I know that's kind of, that's a very large question when you <laughs> think about how healthcare works in America versus other countries versus like how we use it. But I was just curious about that element of even thinking about what, what I'm envisioning, you're talking about the size of the machine and different things like that. It seems like there may be there may be lower costs, which may seem advantageous to other people. Yes, um, you are you are right. There is a lower cost in terms of the point of care ultrasound that we're able to actually do compared to the radiology ultrasounds. So let's just go back to let's say the machines itself. Now the machines have transformed um, from the machines that maybe used to be used like 10, 15 uh, years ago. Now we have touch screens. We have like very sleek uh, machines that are not like cumbersome and can go into the patient's rooms. And we also have um, machines that are literally the size of your hand that you can attach to your iPhone or maybe to an iPad. So the machines have really grown. And of course, the smaller ones are actually less expensive. And those are actually the ones that are used uh, mostly in resource limited uh, settings outside of, of the United States. So because it's cheaper, that I think um, draws that appeal. You know, this is something that institutions that are resource limited can actually afford. And I think, again, because we see the utility, um, institutions outside of the United States have kind of, you know, committed to, to this. And a lot of institutions either have one or maybe two handheld ultrasound uh, machines. And that is what their, their, their clinicians use at the bedside. Um, I know that a lot of the companies now have definitely in, um, innovated and changed things. And they even have some of the companies have subsidies. So let's say they may rent a machine or borrow a machine to an institution for a reduced cost, depending on how uh, resource uh, limited that that institution is. So compared to the big um, scans that you have to pay for in the radiology suite, this is definitely uh, cheaper. And I just want to say, it's not like we we are replacing the radiologists. We are we are not. And I think I want to make 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 that clear. We are complementary to the radiologist. For example, if there is a scan that we do by the bedside that is not completely clear, then we will need the radiologist to do a more comprehensive scan. Or if there is a scan that we do at the bedside that shows some initial pathology, we sometimes we do need the radiologist to give us a complete scan. All of the x-rays, uh, broken bones, if you think about what's going on in Haiti now, just reading a lot of the reports, they have asked for x-rays. They need x-rays because of all of the trauma that has been going on. And I also think that they may also need some uh, points of care ultrasound. So again, we work 
um, in complementary roles to our, with our radiology uh, colleagues. That's a great distinction. Thank you. Great. Um, thank you so much. Um, I think we can all agree that it's really impressive and um, just to see the worldwide impact that this technology has and has the potential to have in the future. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Abby, for inviting me to be here as well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.